All right, so I actually went from the lectionary today, but it worked out in my favor because it's really, really good. So our reading this morning is from Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can anyone do to me? We hear the voice of God through these words. So I often associate the word hospitality with dinner parties and casseroles. I think of the hospitality industry. We have an industry of hospitality, hostels, hotels, restaurants, um, tourism. The word brings to mind similar words that I use every day like hospice and hospital. The places where we go to seek help, the places we go to look for shelter and food and comfort, they kind of end with, they all start with that hospice, hospitality. Almost all of us in this room have had experience with the hospitality industry at one point or another, either good or bad. When I think of good hospitality, I think of the people who have loved me by inviting me into their homes and who've treated me as a member of their family. And many of you are in this room today. For those of you that have invited me to dinner at your house, I'm both grateful and I'm deeply sorry. You see, I'm what my family calls the picky one. When it comes to food, I don't like my food to touch. I eat a ketogenic diet where it's high carb, low carbs, high fats, and so I have a lot of food restrictions that I don't eat. And casseroles, they scare me because stuff hides in them. And Oh, and I hate lettuce, and it's nasty cousin cabbage. They're just gross. It's a textured thing. Um, let's just say I have some strong preferences when it comes to things like that. So as you can imagine, dinner parties bring a little bit of anxiety for me, and they're challenging. And sometimes I have to pregame dinner parties because I don't know what they're going to serve, and so I have to eat a snack at home before I go so that I don't starve, and then I can go home and eat. Or sometimes I fake eat, and I eat a little bit and then push stuff around my plate to make it look like I ate more than what I actually did. You know. Sorry. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry. So a few months ago, Augie and I were invited to the Henzelka home. Uh, for dinner and prior to dinner Heather sent a text asking what we can eat and what we can't and as an Enneagram 9 talking to a 2 I said whatever you make will be great I'll eat whatever <laughs> don't worry about it it's fine when we arrived Heather had prepared an all-out keto feast uh, complete with keto cheddar biscuits which were amazing um, roasted vegetables with low carbs a meat without a sweet sauce keto-friendly cookies, which are hard to do. It was, it was beautiful and delicious, and I ate every bite, and I even had seconds, and I didn't have to fake eat anything. That evening, Heather and Matthew invited us into their home. They shared their family with us, and they made us feel most welcomed. 
they paid attention to what my needs were, but also what my preferences were, which are not easy, because I have a lot. Um, I didn't have to change who I am or how I eat to be welcomed at their table. The Henselkas are great at hospitality. But the word for hospitality that's used in our text today is not, does not carry the same meaning as our, as our culture and our language um, mean it now. Um, the, the meaning for hospitality goes a little bit deeper than inviting friends and family in to share a meal. That's not to say that feeding your neighbors and friends and family is not hospitable, because it is. In fact, the first verse, the writer tells um, the, the listeners, he's encouraging them to continue to show mutual love to one another. Keep having your dinner parties. Keep having your game nights and your dance parties. Keep doing those things. Keep inviting your neighbors and your friends into your home and practicing acts of loving kindness. But in the next verse, he says, but do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, that some have entertained angels without knowing it. In the first century context, this word that we translate into the English word hospitality is a richly complex phrase that literally loves strangers, immigrants, and enemies as if they were your brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show love to strangers, to immigrants, to the enemies, as if they were your siblings. For by doing so, many have un unknowingly entertained angels. I believe that the original hearers of this text in Hebrews may have heard these words with a little bit different ears than what we hear today. I think the author of this text offered an additional message for its audience, perhaps a warning. I'm pretty sure that there's a thinly veiled, kindly reminder about what happens to people who do not extend hospitality to strangers. The writer of this text is reminding the Hebrew people of the stories that have been passed down about their ancestors. That little phrase about the angels, um, it's not really a gimmick or an incentive to invite people in and maybe you get to meet an angel. <laughs> I don't know about you, but from what I've read of scripture, Angels don't always bling, bring glad tidings of great joy. Sometimes angels bring some pretty scary stuff. This reminder is a cautionary tale. In this text, the, the writer is reminding the Hebrews about that time in Genesis 18 and 19 when Abraham welcomed the angels in disguise into his home. He rolled out the carpet and slaughtered the fattened calf. The writer is reminding the audience of the blessings that come with following the command to welcome and provide safe haven to strangers in the land. He's telling them, be like Abraham. He's also reminding them of that time when those same undercover angels visited Lot in Sodom. The people of the city sought to violate and harm the visiting strangers. Lot's hospitality, his offer of sanctuary and protection in his home, gave him favor with the angels who in turn spared his life while the rest of his city was destroyed. The, the writer is reminding them of what happens when people fail to offer hospitality. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of the inhabitants' intentions to exploit and abuse the travelers, the stranger angels. Contrary to popular belief, the destruction of those cities had nothing to do with sexual preferences or practices. The people of those cities, as a collective group, failed to welcome and protect strangers in their midst. The writer is saying, don't be like Sodom. It's evident throughout scripture that God cares about how we treat vulnerable people, and God, God is really serious about hospitality. It's all over scripture. As individuals, we're called to make each 
day a spiritual practice of treating others as if they were our brothers and sisters, to turn strangers into family. We can pray for God to give us eyes to see the needs of the people around us and then work to help to meet those needs in tangible ways without any hope of um, reciprocation or repayment. As individuals and families, we can open our homes, give food to eat, a soft place to sleep. We can offer space to feel safe, a space to feel heard and loved. But hospitality is also communal as well as cultural. Here at Peace of Christ, each week I see this ragtag group of misfits that are, work on practicing hospitality. I believe that our pastors and our members work together really hard to make this church a safe haven from the judgment and the hate of the world outside, a place of worship and a place of freedom, a place where each of us come to connect with God and with each other week after week without hiding who we are or changing who we are to feel like we belong here. From the ritual of sh shared communion that we just did, where all are welcome, to the work of building bridges with our interfaith community, to the giving of our resources to the Texas refugees or um, the care portal, to the upcoming border immersion trip. Our church, we are a community that is committed to welcoming and loving each other as well as our neighbors and our strangers and our immigrants and our enemies, as if they were our brothers and sisters. Some of you spend your days teaching children in schools and serving in community centers and giving your time and resources to agencies that help bring families to help them get on their feet. Some of you open your homes to children um, who need a safe place to live. We are a community that cares and works towards bringing people to wholeness, no matter who they are or where they come from. It's at the very core of who we are as a community. It's our mantra. I mean, we put it on our shirt. No exceptions. Nobody has to fake eat here. That's a new t-shirt. But outside our homes and our church, how do we build this culture that practices this type of hospitality? There's a myth in the southern portion of the United States about southern hospitality, which really has nothing to do with hospitality as much as it is fake politeness and table manners. You know, bless her heart. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir. It usually involves casseroles and cobblers, which can all be good things, but that's not cultural hospitality. We live in a culture of shady systems and corrupt corporations, bureaucracy, red tape, and bottom lines, a culture that values profit over people, a society that says we have to take care of our own before we can take care of anyone else, a society that says I have to protect what's mine in case there isn't enough. I have to get before I get got. We lag by xenophobia, perpetuated by immigrant threat narratives, racism, sexism, homophobia, greed, and the illusion of scarcity and the trappings of privilege and the need for security. We have an immigration system that separates children from their families and puts them in cages. And corporations that financially profit from those cages being filled. We have unjust laws that penalize children for their parents. We have an immigration system that was created to be unwelcoming with policies that have been used to endorse systemic racism and xenophobia. People say that we have a system that's broken, which is true if you mean that it doesn't work. But it didn't break. It was created that way. It was created to say who can come into our home and who can't, who is worthy of protection and who isn't. It's a system that has been formed and reformed based on the collective cultural fears and political agendas of the time. 
At different times, it's been different people, the Irish, the Catholics, the, the Chinese, the Japanese, Latin Americans, Muslims, but our immigration system has always, always, always been about keeping people out rather than welcoming them in. For decades, the reformation of our flawed system has been immobilized by the fear of others, by the fear of scarcity, by the fear of our loss of security and privilege. We as a society refrain from extending a hospitality because we are scared. So how do we practice this radical idea of hospitality then? Do we just open our borders and open the floodgates to all of our resources? How can this radical hospitality be sustainable in the long run? How do we not bleed ourselves dry? At what point does hospitality become crippling dependency? These are complex questions that require complex solutions, which I don't have. But I can offer this. As often as God tells us through scriptures to offer love and kindness to others, more often God tells us people not to fear, to have faith. My friends, hospitality is an act of faith. It's an act of it's, a, it's an act of loving others with the belief that God is going to provide for our needs. It is an act, we act upon the belief that God's provision will cover the expenses we need to offer food and shelter and clothing and medical care and educational expenses and other life-giving resources to people in need. Hospitality takes guts because it's risky. We're called to have faith that the risk of people taking advantage of our resources will be minimal and it will be bearable. We are called to have faith that caring for strangers does not take away from our time or our resources with our own families. We are called to have faith that living to make other, that giving to others not only makes, it makes us stronger rather than weaker. We are called to have faith that strangers and immigrants and our enemies are worth caring for. They are worth caring for because they each bear the image of God. What we do for them is what we do for Christ himself. Hospitality is a practice. It's imperfect. We will screw it up. We will inadvertently hurt people, and we will likely get hurt because we never know if the people that we seek to offer love to are going to disappoint us or hurt us. That's the risk that we take with loving anyone, whether it's a stranger or someone we know well. Now, I wouldn't be a good social worker, because I am a social worker, uh, if I didn't talk about boundaries. And I also wouldn't be a good social worker if I didn't quote Brene Brown, um, who says that sustainable generosity, hospitality, and loving kindness to others and to ourself cannot exist without boundaries. Hospitality without boundaries is a slippery slope that leads directly to compassion fatigue and disharmony. But radical hospitality can and should have boundaries. We don't live in the first century where mosaic hospitality is the cultural norm and the rules of giving and receiving hospitality are well-known practices, nor do we live in a Benedictine abbey where the rules of St. Benedict tell us what to do. We don't have a set of rules on how we're supposed to do this stuff. We only have the words of Jesus, and we have the Spirit of God to guide us as we act with compassion towards strangers, the immigrants, the enemies, our friends, and our family. So we muster up what little courage we have and what little faith, and we go for it. We practice. Let us continue to practice loving people as they are, without judgment, without the need to change them or make them seem more familiar to us 
or make them more worthy of our hospitality in our eyes, let us continue to practice looking for the God image in the strangers that we meet. Pray with me. Jesus, friend of the stranger, help us to love ourselves, each other, our neighbors, and the strangers that we meet. Teach us what it means to love the strangers as we love ourselves. Help those strangers to become our siblings. Forgive us in our silence when we are witnesses to someone being mistreated. Forgive us when we unknowingly perpetuate harmful practices. Give us courage to stand up to unjust policies and practices that are inhumane and inhospitable. Grant us open arms and open hearts to receive your people as they arrive at our borders seeking safety. Help us to end the misery of families who are separated by man-made borders, but not by love. Jesus, give us your peace as we seek to bring your peace to the world. Amen.